But we have always been known uh, in modern worship as being a place where kids can dance, where they can cry out, um, and I just hope that you will always welcome them into this space and cherish them just as much as I do and I know so many of you do. Will you pray with me? God, may the words of my heart and mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. This is the last week of our Second Corinthians sermon series, and it has been a long one, and you are all amazing for going through it with me. I am thankful last week Paige actually preached in Modern Worship here, and she preached about generosity and did a great job. She covered the eighth and ninth chapter of Second Corinthians. And before we go into ours today, I want to do a quick recap because we are at the end, and it is a heavy-hitting letter that we have just finished. Paul writes this letter to the church at Corinth. While it's listed as 2 Corinthians in our Bibles, it was probably more realistic to say that it's actually the fifth or sixth letter to the Corinthians, not necessarily the second. They started the church at Corinth as this really strong community, these first believers of Christ. But then Paul left them and started traveling to spread the word to other places. And when Paul left, they kind of swayed in their faith. They strayed away from what Paul had been teaching them about Christ. They started listening to some other guys who were coming in the name of Jesus, but who Paul says were not really genuine followers of Christ. It's kind of a whole mess. Paul seeks reconciliation with this church at Corinth. Paul apologizes to them throughout 2 Corinthians for the times that he's let them down, and he asks that they will allow the power of Jesus to transform them into new creations, new creations where they practice this radical generosity and mold their lives to point others to Jesus Christ. Today, as we finish up this letter, we will be focusing on the 10th through 13th chapters, the last three chapters of 2 Corinthians. This portion of the letter is actually considered to be fragments of an even later letter. <laughs> if you have been reading along in 2 Corinthians with us, you can tell that some of the things Paul brushed off earlier in the book now seem very urgent and must be addressed. These are the type of keys that we see throughout the scripture that tells us that something's changed, that maybe this letter was written at a different time because the situation seems more dire. Things seem more urgent than they did earlier on. And uh, the tech team has the timeline I showed us that very first week. So this is really the way we should think of the letters. V1 is Paul's first visit to Corinth. That's when the church is first established. And then there's actually this warning letter that has been lost. And so technically that would be Paul's first letter to the church at Corinth. Then letter B is what we have today in our scriptures as 1 Corinthians. Then we have Paul's second visit. Then we hear all this reference in 2 Corinthians about a harsh letter but we don't have a harsh letter. So it's assumed that that has been another, that's another letter that's been lost. So that would be letter C. Letter D is what we have covered up to this point, chapters one through nine of 2 Corinthians. That is actually considered the, that letter of um, D, 
is what we're calling it, A, B, C, D, four. There we go, the fourth letter. And then letter E is what we are covering today. And that is considered to be fragments of an even later letter, a fifth, or maybe there's other letters that have been lost and we just don't have them. So fifth or more letter is what we are covering today. And then it's assumed that Paul did make a third visit to the church at Corinth. This comes from uh, some writings throughout Acts and Romans. Uh, so if you wanna go deeper, once again, I suggest Jamie Clark Souls has a book entitled First Corinthians but it really gives us a lot of background into the people as they are even in 2 Corinthians. Okay, timeline over. So we are focusing on chapter 10 through 13. They're fragments of another letter. We can, we're good with that. We're cool with that. Lovely. Perfect. Whatever the original composition may have included, these last few chapters are important and they stand surprisingly well on their own. 10, 11, 12, 13. I keep saying three. It's really four, huh? Math is not a strong suit, friends. The last four chapters of 2 Corinthians. And it is in these last four chapters that we get an important glimpse into Paul's identity. If I were to ask all of us here today, what is something you know about Paul? You might shout things out like, he was a writer. Yeah, he wrote all these letters. He was imprisoned. Yes, also true. Maybe someone yells out, he used to be named Saul. Yes, he used to be named Saul. He was Jewish. He's often assumed to be a Pharisee. We know for sure that he persecuted Christians when he was Saul. And if we kept throwing out all these things we know about Paul, one of you may mention, hey, isn't it written somewhere that Paul had a thorn in his side? Have you all heard this before? Yeah, is that something you associate with Paul? Let's read about it. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 7 through 8. Paul writes this, I was given a thorn in my body because of the outstanding revelations I've received so that I wouldn't be conceited. It's a messenger from Satan sent to torment me so that I wouldn't be conceited. I pleaded with the Lord three times for it to leave me alone. Now, there are many speculations as to what Paul is referring to when he says there is this thorn in my body. We're pretty sure it wasn't a literal thorn because you think you could just pull it out, right? Be fine. So it's fair to assume it was something more. It was something that kind of hindered the way he did his everyday life. It could have been an ailment or some type of impediment. And there's really absolutely no way for any of us to know what this thorn in Paul's side is. Scholars have read and read and read letters that weren't even published in the Bible or part of what we consider scripture, and there's just not a clear answer as to what this thorn in the side was. Now, if you learn something and think you really know, please tell me. But from what I found, I cannot find any clear answers. Tons of speculations, but no clear answers. And it's kind of fun to speculate, right? To think about, huh, 
what was that thing that Paul struggled with? It seems like we're all kind of drawn to noticing weaknesses in other people. My family and I earlier this week were watching the NBA draft because that's what people do these days in COVID. And as we were watching all these young people uh, get signed to teams, the sports analysts would talk about the player that was just drafted. And they would say, oh, they're so good at this and this and this, but... And then they would go on and on about this person's weakness. Man, they're really weak from the free throw line, or their defense could really use some work. And just would go on about the weakness of this great athlete that was just drafted into the NBA. Weaknesses are something that sometimes are easy to talk about in other people. We all have weaknesses. My question for us today is why do we feel like we need to point out weaknesses in other people? Does it make us feel better? I think when we look and consider other people's weaknesses, we have to be so super clear on what our motivation truly is in doing so because that motivation reveals something about who we are. And honestly, before we can even focus on pointing out someone else's weakness, we need to be in a solid headspace where we can take an accurate inventory of our own weaknesses. Because like I said, we all have them, friends. It is really easy to build ourselves up on others' weaknesses, to point out where we see others fail and kind of hide our own truth, our own weaknesses about ourselves. But if we are going to talk about weaknesses today, if we're going to pay attention to Paul's life, to this insight that Paul himself had this weakness, then we have to be real and honest about the weaknesses in each of our lives, too. What is something you consider a weakness in your life? You don't have to shout it out. Keep it inside. <laughs> Between you and God, maybe your spouse or best friend. Can you think of one? Maybe you can think of a few. It can be anything. It can be something innate, something that you don't really have any control over. It can also be a weakness that's maybe a bad habit or something you use as a crutch. Some of our weaknesses can be things that need to be remedied. And other times our weaknesses can't be fixed, but they can be acknowledged and built upon. Other weaknesses actually lend themselves to developing different strengths within us. In the 90s and early 2000s, a restaurant concept spread across, across Europe. It was called Dining in the Dark. 
Its concept was twofold. It was intended to give diners who dined in pitch black spaces or were blindfolded the opportunity to temporarily forfeit one of their senses, sight. The idea is that when they gave up sight, these other senses would be heightened. It was also intended to give space to those who were blind or visually impaired, to connect with people in a unique setting, to give them an opportunity to play up to their strength of navigating in the darkness. There are still restaurants today where you can dine in the dark in order to get a more intense dining experience. And there's actual science behind this theory. There are numerous studies that show when a person is born without sight or maybe without hearing, that if they lose one of their senses early in childhood, their brain doesn't just shut down on that part that dealt with it. Instead, the other senses continue to send information to that part of the brain. So even though someone may not be able to see, that part of the brain doesn't just shut down and black out. Senses fill in the space and connect dots. They make up that difference. A researcher at Stanford put it this way, the unaffected senses take up the responsibilities of the affected sense. While some may consider having impaired sight or hearing to be a weakness, it's actually something that lends to strengthening of other senses. Weaknesses aren't always something we're super proud of. They can sometimes be things that really stand in the way of us being our true selves. And still, sometimes, they can lead to even better newer, bigger things. Let's continue in our passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We'll pick up where we left off. Let's read verse 8 again. I pleaded with the Lord three times for it, the thorn in the side, to leave me alone. The Lord said to me, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. So I'll gladly spend my time bragging about my weaknesses so that Christ's power can rest on me. Therefore, I'm all right with weaknesses, insults, disasters, harassments, and stressful situations for the sake of Christ. Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. This is the word of God for the people of God. Let the church say, thanks be to God. Redemption is a huge part of Paul's theology. The idea that Jesus redeems our stories, Jesus redeems our identities, and that it's in that redemption that we are offered this truly deep love and grace. Paul asks God to take away his weaknesses. Paul begs God three times to take this thorn away from him. And instead of taking it away, God says, my grace is enough for you because power is made perfect in weakness. 
Yeah, it's true. Some of our weaknesses need to be changed. They need to be remedied. They need to be fixed. Hatred, selfishness, rudeness, those are all weaknesses that we can work on doing better at. And those weaknesses that we don't have control over, those things that are just a part of who we are, that others point out as weaknesses within us, those things can actually be redeemed by God and demonstrate the grace of our Christ with a love offered to all people. As we close the page on the story and the chapter and the people of 2 Corinthians, may we remember the message to the church. They were not abandoned they were challenged to love others and to spread the love of Jesus Christ to the world. They were called to be transformed into a new creation, to allow their weaknesses to be made strong through the grace of Christ. Friends, we too are not abandoned. We are challenged to love others and to spread the love of Jesus Christ to the world. We are called to be transformed into a new creation, to allow each of those weaknesses that we talked about earlier that we have swirling around our head to be made strong through the, the love, through the power, through the strength and grace of Christ. May it be so.